And you may be seated. As you're being seated, if you'll open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, uh, one of the beautiful things about Christianity is that we do, we do stand in a faith that has been around for 6,000 years whenever we open the Scriptures. These are not new thoughts. They're not an editorial in the newspaper or something that you read on a blog. These are ancient words that people have lived and died by for 6,000 years, and they have shown themselves to be true in billions of people's lives. They have shown themselves to be a guide through some of the darkest places in life. And so our message, our who we are as Christians, it is grounded in this beautiful heritage that people have lived and died by for centuries and centuries. We're in this series called Finding Peace, and one of the things that we've been doing in this series is inviting you, if you have a picture that you have taken that elicits peace, to submit that to us. You email that to office at murphychurch.com, and then each week we pick one picture to be our sermon logo. This was submitted by Jeffrey Havelock. He was fly fishing in Broken Bow, Oklahoma, and this deer came right up to him. I mean, the deer almost looks like he wants to be petted behind the ears and and given a milk bone or something. Jeffrey actually told me that he was coming after a granola bar that he had in his bag, and he was out to get him. Well, our theme verse for the series has been Matthew chapter 5 and verse 9. Jesus was teaching the section of the Bible called the Beatitudes, and Jesus said these words, The peacemakers are blessed, for they will be called sons of God. So in week one, we identified three big truths that God desires for his children to be peacemakers rather than peace breakers. We also were reminded that as children of God, we are deeply blessed. It is so easy to get so tied up in all the things that you have to do in life that you forget who you are in life. Your identity is not going to be found in what you do. Your identity is going to be found in who you are. Life is lived in being. That's where we truly experience the love and the relationships, the joy that God has for us is in being. And Jesus said the peacemakers are blessed. And he reminded us that we are the sons of God, that nothing can separate us as believers in Christ. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. And because we know that we are in God's family today, tomorrow, and forever, it frees us to live life in a radically different way to pursue peace and pursue the mind of Christ instead of just thinking about the here and now. Well, in week two, we looked at James chapter four, where James asked this really pointed question. He said, what causes fights and quarrels among you? And as we dug into that passage, we discovered that conflict ultimately begins in the heart. Specifically, if your heart is wrapped up in selfishness and pride, then from your heart is going to flow activities, attitudes, words that are combative, that lead to uh, breakdowns of relationships, that lead to more and more conflict in your life. Well, James told us to draw near to God, and the Spirit of God will, in turn, 
draw near to us. And so instead of having this selfish, prideful heart within our heart, the Spirit of God begins to reign and we begin to have what's called a, a spiritual heart. And the Holy Spirit begins to, to guide our thinking, our actions, how we respond to life. And instead of always responding in a combative way which breaks down relationships, we begin to be able to respond with the wisdom of God. Well, last week we talked about decisions. We talked about how decisions have consequences And ultimately, decisions lead us to destination points in life. You are where you are today because of series of decisions in your life. And we looked at that passage in Galatians where the Bible says, you reap what you sow. And we talked about this tug of war that takes place here on earth between our flesh and the spirit. And so when we are sowing, when we are planting seeds towards the flesh, It's going to lead us to be restless, angry. Our hearts are going to be filled with anxiety. And we're going to lack the peace and joy that we desire in life. Correspondingly, whenever we sow to the Spirit, it leads us to to make wise decisions. It drains anxiety from our heart and fills us with the peace of God. And we talked about how so often whenever people talk about peace... They understand it to be the absence of conflict. If love can just win, if I can just eliminate injustice, if I can just get to a point where there is no fighting, then we'll have peace. But the Bible describes a peace that passes understanding. The Bible describes for us a peace that is present in the midst of the storm because the peace that we aspire towards is found from the presence of God being with us in the midst of the storm. So here's what I want you to get today. I have one major thought that I want you to take with you today. And that is that in every adversity you face in life, there is also opportunity. And I want to encourage you this morning to see the opportunity in adversity. Let's look at the passage that we have turned to today. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 31. Therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do everything for God's glory. Give no offense to the Jews or the Greeks or the church of God, just as I also try to please all people in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of many, so that they may be saved. Imitate me as I also imitate Christ." Recently, Susanna Davis invited Stacy and me to a banquet for a ministry called Real Options for Women. I think a few of you were also at that banquet, and it was the first time I'd really been exposed to that ministry. It's a fantastic ministry where they help uh, ladies that have, they're pregnant and they're looking for their options, and so they give them various options and pray with them and guide them and help them through the course of their pregnancy. It's a, it's a great ministry uh, located here in Plano. One of the speakers that night was a lady by the name of Gail McWilliams. And as she spoke, she really struck me as an amazing person. She is one of those individuals that has the ability to see what others cannot. And so watch this video, and I think you'll see what I'm talking about. The, the quote that she had that really stood out to me, was she said, in the middle of my darkest hour, vision was birthed. 
And when you have vision, you can see in the darkest places of life. Now, let me ask you two questions that will frame the rest of our time together today. The first question is this. What are the biggest conflicts in your life right now? Go ahead and identify those in your mind. What are the areas in your life where you're dealing with trouble, adversity, conflict, whichever word you desire to use? Now, the second question is this. What opportunities do you see in that conflict? What opportunities do you see in that conflict? I do not wish you trouble, and I do not encourage you to run towards trouble. But this I believe, in every adversity, there is also opportunity. And if you choose to see life through the lenses of faith, hope, and love, you may find opportunity in any situation. I've observed that the difference between joyful people and troubled people often comes down to vision. Joyful people live life with vision, and they choose to see hope when others see despair. For a season in my life, I was a, a missionary. I was a missionary here in North America. I was a missionary in the county just north of our, us, uh, Grayson County. And my role was to minister to the 68 Baptist churches that are there in that county, and I would help new churches get started and try to encourage and strengthen existing churches. And as I would travel from church to church, one of the things that I noticed is that sometimes churches get into arguments. Now, we have a lot of peace here, and we enjoy being around each other, but have you ever noticed that sometimes churches do get into arguments? And sometimes they argue over the most silly of things. There was one church that I uh, came across where the pastor had gone to the church refrigerator, and he had found a tomato in the refrigerator. Well, he was hungry, so he ate the tomato. Well, it turns out somebody was saving that tomato. They had put it in there for a specific reason. So they got all upset with the pastor and said, he has stolen a tomato from the church refrigerator, and they were about to fire the pastor because he ate a tomato out of the refrigerator. The dumbest argument that I was ever a part of in a church. It was a small country church. I was the guest speaker that day, and I discovered that they were fighting over whether or not to mow the grass for the children's Easter egg hunt. Apparently their lawn mowing equipment had broken, and they were going to have to hire it out, and so there was this big debate going on over it. They came to a point where the buildings and ground guy actually made a motion to the church that they mow the grass for the Easter egg hunt. Well, then they began discussing it, and they went back and forth for about 10 minutes. Some were like, no, let's leave the grass long. It'll save us money. The kids won't be able to see the eggs. Others were like, no, we need to cut the grass. You know, we need to be able to find the ant beds and find our children after the hunt. And so and they just went back and forth. Finally, they voted to mow the grass for the Easter egg hunt. I was sitting there, and I thought to myself, this is the dumbest thing that I've ever been a part of in my life. Well, here in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, we see a church that is in the middle of a church argument. Now, here's what was going on. In Greek society, they would have these pagan temples. And all sorts of debauchery took place in these pagan temples. And on occasion, people would bring meat to the pagan temples and they would lay it before the idols as a sacrifice of worship. You can imagine in an agrarian economy, meat was a very precious commodity. 
And so the meat that they brought to the worship would feed the priests that were there in the temple, but they couldn't eat it all. And so they would take the excess meat and they would sell it at the market and you could get it for a good price because their profit margin was 100%. Now, let me illustrate what was happening this way. For my birthday, my family pitched in and they bought me a barbecue smoker. And so for the last couple of months, I have been learning the art of smoking meat. It makes you feel like a man, you know, whenever you got that fire going and that smoked meat. I mean, it just makes you feel alive. Ladies, you can smoke meat too. It's okay. All right. So I, I, I'm, I've gotten to the point now where I make a mean rib. I mean, I, my ribs will set you free whenever I make them, okay? Uh, the one thing, though, that inhibits me from making ribs as often as I would like is that they're about $3 a pound. So the other day, I see them advertised at $0.99 cents a pound. So whenever you find them on sale, you buy a whole bunch of them. Now, imagine that I invite you over for Memorial Day. Come on over to my house for Memorial Day. We're going to have a rib fest. And so you get there, and you've got, you know, you've got the napkin tucked inside your shirt. You've got a rib in both hands, and you're just eating, and life is good. And you're like, man, where'd you get these ribs? And I say, well, okay, I really got a great deal on them. Uh, There's a Buddhist temple there in Saxe. You've probably driven by it. It's got all the little Buddhas out front. And, well, some people brought this meat to worship there, and they laid it in front of the idols because they were praying for their ancestors. And then the monks put it on sale, and I got a real good deal on it. And so that's where all this meat is from. Now, at that point, there would probably be the screeching of brakes because we would need to talk a little bit. Now, for some of you, you would say, no big deal. Okay, bring me another rack. Let's keep eating, all right? I'm good. I'm good. But for others, as you were eating those ribs, you'd be like, this just doesn't feel right. I mean, there's just something about it, the fact that they were, it came from the idol worship and all this, it just doesn't feel right, and I feel guilty whenever I eat it. Well, this was happening there in the church there in Corinth. Conflict had broken out, and they were arguing over how they needed to deal with the meat sacrificed to idols. So Paul weighs in. Essentially, he says, the meat itself is not dirty. All things are permissible. It's, it's from God. You can eat it. There's nothing inherently wrong with eating the meat. And if your conscience is clear, enjoy it and, and have fun. But he does tell them to be mindful of the feelings and attitudes of their brothers and sisters in Christ. Just because you find a a sense of freedom to engage in this activity doesn't mean that you need to flaunt it in front of your brothers and sisters in Christ who might be offended by the same activity. And so he encourages them to eat the meat in the privacy of their home and, if need be, uh, lay aside some of their rights in order for others who might be more sensitive to the subject not to be offended. And so in the middle of the conflict... Paul begins to see what others do not. And specifically, Paul sees three opportunities to grow in the middle of this conflict. Colette uh, Sandy of Peacemaker Ministries, she points these things out, and I think she's right on target, that Paul identifies that in the midst of the conflict, 
there is an opportunity to glorify God. Going back to our key passage, in verse 31, Paul said, Therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, whatever you do, do everything for God's glory. Now, the glory of God is one of these foundational ideas in Christianity. Whenever you grab a hold of it, it helps you to fashion multiple areas of your life because it allows you to live with a singleness of purpose. In everything that I do, in everything that I say, I want to be a person who glorifies God. And so it helps your parenting become more simplistic. I want to parent in such a way that I bring glory to God. It brings focus to your marriage relationship. I want to treat my spouse in a way that brings glory to God. It brings focus to your work. I want to work in such a way that I bring glory to God. To your decisions. I want to make wise decisions that brings glory to God. And it also brings focus to your conflicts. Whenever I'm engaged in an argument with somebody, whenever our wills are colliding, I want to handle myself. I want to speak in such a way. I want to have an attitude that displays that I want to bring glory to my God. And so Paul reminds this church, in everything that you're doing, make sure that you seek God's glory. When you find yourself imprisoned by conflict, there is a unique freedom to bring glory to your God. Now, specifically, there's a couple of ways that you can trust God, that you can bring glory to God in the conflict. And the first one is, I gave it away a moment ago, trust God. Whenever you trust God in the conflict, it brings glory to Him. For a lot of us, our, our Christianity is a series of sound bites. You know, it's easy to post a verse on Facebook. It's easy to enjoy a Christian song or to memorize a scripture. It's easy to have a fish medallion on the minivan. But then whenever trouble creeps into your life, Christianity becomes a little bit harder at that point. But we glorify God when in the midst of the storm, we see opportunities to live in such a way that my attitude, my actions, my words bring honor and glory to my Heavenly Father. I can also glorify God by obeying God. Jesus taught us that we are to love Him, and He taught us that if we love Him, we will obey His commandments. Now, it's easy to obey His commandments when you're not facing criticism. But whenever you find yourself in the middle of criticism, it can be harder to obey the commandments of the Lord. But when we obey, our, when we obey Christ, even in difficult situations, it brings glory to God. I think of Noah. God told him to build the ark. And people said, Noah, you're, you're being foolish. It's not going to rain. Why, why are you building this ark? But he chose to obey God and bring honor to God. I think of David. When David was facing the great giant Goliath, he says, I'll go fight him. And they tell David, no, you're just a shepherd boy. You just need to go on back to the flock. But David says, no, I believe God wants me to fight him, and I'm going to obey God. I'm going to fight the giant. 
I think of the great Queen Esther whenever her people were on the brink of genocide. And she says, I'm going to go into the king and I'm going to talk to him. And they tell her, Esther, don't do that. The king can kill you. And she says, if I perish, then I will perish. But I'm going to obey God and I'm going to go forward. I think of Mary of Bethany as she sat at the feet of Jesus and she uh, took the expensive perfume and she anointed his feet with the fragrant perfume, a symbolic picture of preparing him for his burial. And Judas and some of the other disciples began to criticize her and say, hey, you could have taken that expensive uh, oil and you could have sold it. It's worth a year's pay. You could have given it to the poor. Why did you pour it out upon the feet of Jesus? And Jesus says, leave her alone. She's obeying the Holy Spirit of God in her life. She's worshiping her Savior. Obeying God may take us through difficult circumstances, but when the hand of God is leading us, the glory of God will always outshine the darkness of our despair. So I encourage you, obey God even in the difficulties. Set your mind upon those things which are above, and even in the midst of conflict, Seek to behave and act in such a way that you bring glory to the name of your Father. Ultimately, instead of just trying to win it your way all the time, seek for God to receive the victory in the matter. Secondly, in the middle of conflict, there is opportunity to care about others. If you read the passage, Paul says, hey, you need to be mindful of the other people in your church. Yeah, you feel freedom in this way, but... Be mindful of the fact that not everybody feels the same freedom that you feel. These are your brothers and sisters in Christ. And so you want to treat them with kindness and respect and walk the journey with them. In every conflict, there's always opportunities to care about the feelings of others. Just a few moments before the events of the cross just began to explode forth, an argument broke out amongst the disciples. Now, what do you think these guys were fighting over? They were fighting over who's the greatest. Specifically, who is going to be the greatest in the kingdom of God? I mean, it was a little boy's fight. I'm going to be greater than you. And so they're fighting over this, and it overflows to Jesus. And I I think they were even looking to Jesus to kind of give them some answers. Okay, Jesus, who's going to be your vice president when you become the king and all this stuff? And so here's how... Jesus responds. He gets up, he wraps a towel around him. He picks up the water basin and he begins to do the work of the doulos. The doulos was the lowliest of slaves. The doulos had the unadmirable job of washing the feet of the travelers. And so when someone would come into the house, the doulos's job was to take their dirty feet and clean them. And one by one, Jesus began to demonstrate what true greatness is all about when he washed his disciples' feet. He cared for them. He cared about their needs. And in so doing, he demonstrated what they were arguing about. This is what true greatness is. It's really easy, whenever you're arguing with someone, to get caught up in anger and pride. It's really easy to say things that you don't want to say and to forget about the fact that the other person has perspective and needs as well. And what's really tragic in this is that frequently 
The person that you're engaged in conflict with is someone that you love deeply. And so you're engaged in that conflict and you're totally forgetting their needs and their perspective and what's important to them. And in the process of doing so, you're ripping their heart out. You're cutting them. You're creating scars that might take years to heal. And so Paul reminds us that even whenever you find yourself in disagreement, there is opportunity for you to care about the needs of other people and not just think of yourself. Thirdly, in the middle of the conflict, there's an opportunity to grow to be more like Christ. Paul says it this way, be imitators of Christ. Imitate Christ. My deepest desire for you is that you will grow to be more like Christ. As your pastor, as your friend, that's my deepest desire for you, is that you will grow to be more like Christ. You say, Lash, what do you want from me? What does the church want from me? We want you to grow to be more like Christ. I really wish that that could happen in your life without you ever having to go through struggle. I wish you didn't have to grieve. I wish you didn't have to hurt. I wish you didn't have to, at times, wonder. I wish you didn't have to go through those moments where your faith is stretched. When the tears flow. I wish life could be easy and tranquil all the time. But the reality is, is that pain is one of the common denominators of being alive. We all hurt. We all go through difficulty. And Christ-like people learn to see what others miss. Whenever you begin to yield your life to the Spirit of God, and the Spirit of God begins to reign within your heart, you begin to see the world differently. You begin to understand the wisdom of God. Only God and His sovereign power can turn the murder of His Son into a beautiful picture of His love. And so my prayer for you today is that you will choose to see through the lenses of faith, hope, and love and see the abundant grace and the opportunities before you. Because often the difference between a joyful person and a troubled person comes down to vision. And joyful people live with vision, choosing to see hope when others see despair. I want to remind you, in the midst of your busy life, with all that you have to do, that your identity is not found in what you do. Your identity is found in who you are. And Jesus reminded his followers, blessed are the peacemakers, joyful, happy, a deep-seated contentment belongs to those who are the peacemakers. Jesus taught us that true blessing in life will not be found on our resume, but true blessing in life will be found in our heart. True blessing will be found from the people that we are and are becoming as God begins to weave His will throughout our lives. And I do desire that you don't have to face an abundance of conflict in your life. But I also understand that when we go through difficult moments, that God builds within us endurance. 
And that as endurance builds within us, perseverance, patience, and maturity begin to unfold in our lives. And I understand that whenever we gaze at our God and glance at our problems, that God begins to mature us and grow us. And when we draw near to our God, He promises, I will draw near to you. And Jesus taught us that even though He was going away, He would never leave us nor forsake us, and that He was sending to us a counselor, the Holy Spirit of God, who would abide within our hearts so that we no longer have to be in prison and held captive by the fleshly desires that can only see this world in front of us. But Christ said, I'm giving you the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is going to guide your thoughts, and He's going to grant you wisdom that you don't have, and He's going to give you perspective that you don't have, and whenever you draw near to the Spirit of God, the Spirit will allow you to see the world in ways that only God can see, and the Spirit of God will allow you to have the mind of Christ within you so that your life can be the hands and feet of Jesus Christ, and you can minister to people just as Christ ministered to people, and you can meet people at their point of need, and your life can begin having deep impact and even the crises that you have gone through in your life can become tools of ministry that the Holy Spirit of God can use in your life to draw others to the cross. And so I pray that within your life there is the living water of Jesus Christ flowing abundantly and there is a sweetness, a spirit about you that draws people to the cross. And I pray that God might drain us of this toxicity that just fills so many individuals and repels them from the cross of Jesus Christ. Because God's given you one in one life. God's given you a life to be used for His glory. So use it for His glory. Let the mind of Christ Jesus be in you. Let's move beyond the fleshly and the temporal that can only see the here and now and realize that in Christ we are the children of God and God's love for us is unconditional. It's here today and tomorrow and for all eternity. And Paul said nothing can separate us from that love, not death, not famine, not despair. No matter what we go through, nothing's going to separate me from the love of Christ. And because of that, I can have a radical freedom freedom, to live life like nobody else, to pursue the peace of God, and to understand that no matter what I go through, the peace of God remains because it's not dependent upon external things happening. It has been birthed within my heart through the power of God's Spirit, and it's in that Spirit that we will live. It's in that spirit that we will impact. It's in that spirit that we see. And it's through that spirit that we seize the opportunities of adversity and become the women and the men that God has called us to be. My prayer for you today is that you grow to be like Christ. Would you be so kind as to stand with me, please, as we come to a time of commitment? The musicians will come and they'll lead us in singing. I'll be here at the front if I can pray with you. I'm here for you if today God is leading you to make a decision to embrace Christ as your Lord and Savior. I would love to talk with you about what that means. I'll be here after the service as well.
and I would love to help you however I may. I'll pray and then we will have our time of worship. Heavenly Father, I know that in this room today that there are a lot of stories that are brought through the doors. And Father, I know that in a lot of those stories there's pain, there's grief, there's conflict, there's tension within marriages, there's families that don't seem to be strong, there's people that deeply long for peace, that find themselves filled with anxiety, that find their hearts troubled. There's exhausted people who have been spending their, their days from sunrise to sundown just moving and trying to get everything done. And today, Lord, we are reminded by these ancient words that we find blessing and being in you. And so I pray, Lord, that you will help us to live in the spirit of peace and help us, Lord, to find your presence even in the conflict. Lord, help us to stand strong for those things which are true when we're criticized and persecuted on account of you. May we realize that that in no way robs us of our peace that comes from you. Help us, Lord, to have the mind of Christ to live in the Spirit rather than the flesh. And I pray for those that find themselves trapped in troublesome thoughts and circumstances that they might be freed to live in your glory. In Jesus' name.